So anyway, it's the first Sunday of 2024. And with a new year comes a new sermon series, a new sermon focus and an emphasis. And last year, our focus was on the reasons why we assemble. And I want to thank Lisa Long, who was here in my place last week, uh, gave a wonderful message. And she wrapped up our focus on some assembly required. She did a great job. And as she said, we assemble, we gather together here to grow spiritually so that we can produce fruit. And she mentioned many opportunities that we have right here at Wesley Memorial to do just that. And so that is my prayer for each of you, that you would take advantage of the opportunities that you have here and that you would grow. So for 2024, our sermon series is Jesus is always a good answer. And that seems cute and that seems, you know, like cliche. And uh, I know I use it a lot, but it's really going to be a pretty heavy series. It really is. Um, because this series is going to focus on a series of questions. Questions for us as a community of faith. Questions for us as individual Christians. Um, and we're going to look at these questions throughout the year. And these questions are, in no particular order, who are you? And we're looking for something a little more existential than your name. Who are you really, deep down? There's a lot of talk socially in our country about how people identify, and we're not talking gender. We're talking about who are you at your core? The next question is, why are you here? Why are you here at Wesley Memorial? Why are you at church? What does belonging to a church mean to you? But on a deeper level, the questions we'll ask is, why are you here? Why do you exist? What is the meaning of your existence? The next question, what are you looking for? What are you looking for from Wesley Memorial? What are you looking for from life? What are you looking for from God? And the next question, where are you going? I don't mean that you're going to Cracker Barrel for lunch after this. I mean, where is your life headed? Where are you going to go when you die? Have you given that much thought? And then, when will I get better? You know, you have to decide what better is for you. Will better be financial? Will it be physical? Or will better be kinder and more generous and more loving and more forgiving. And so these are important questions that if we would focus on them, they would help us grow spiritually. And focusing on these questions will, will help us avoid those things that would keep us from producing fruit. Or as Lisa Long shared last week, we would avoid the weeds that would choke out the fruit. Today being the first Sunday of the month, we'll celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. And uh, we're actually going to celebrate Holy Communion a little bit extra this year. We're going to put in some more communion time. And maybe after today's message, you'll know why. But we're going to focus on communion. And we're going to focus on a couple of questions today, too. So the passage of Scripture I want to start with is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning 
the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, what does that mean? We ought to know. He's talking about eating and drinking judgment upon ourselves if we come up here. It means that we should look at this table as a place of connection and a place of community. But I want you to know I'm not just talking about connecting with God. While first and foremost, this is a place to remember what God has done for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which is paying the penalty for our sin and saving us from the power of sin, there is something else going on at this table. And if we come forward to receive Holy Communion, and the only thing we ever think about is connecting to God, then we don't properly understand the sacrament of Holy Communion. Indeed, we don't understand Jesus. And we call this communion, the early church called it the Lord's Table. We call it communion for a reason. And the definition of communion is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. For a Christian, for a Christian who is actively involved in the body of Christ, communion is not just fellowship with God, but also fellowship with one another. In Acts chapter 2, we're told that the first Christians devoted themselves to fellowship with one another. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is talking about his post-conversion experience, and he talks about how the disciples who had been with Jesus before his crucifixion offered to Paul the hand of fellowship. And then the Apostle John writes about sharing the good news and fellowship. It's in 1 John 1. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And the word that we translate from fellowship in each of those verses is the Greek word kononia, and it means partnership, participation, spiritual fellowship. And so at this table, we are not alone with God. We are in fellowship together with the Lord. We're in fellowship. But you know what? That's not just at this table. We are in, we should be in fellowship, in partnership, in spiritual fellowship with God and with one another in all of life. And so we need to be aware of this aspect of Christianity, this aspect of the body of Christ. You know, church isn't meant to be a private affair. It's not. Read your Bible. God doesn't want you to go to church, go home and have your private life, come back and have your church life. It's not a private affair at all. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, they were communist. Yes, read it. <laughs> they gave up their possessions and lived communally. The Jews still do that. Anyway, I got off on my high horse. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So the Apostle Paul is telling them, he's telling us that if we come up for communion without discerning the body of Christ, we're bringing judgment on ourselves. And we ought to know what that means. What does it mean to discern the body of Christ? Is he talking about Jesus? Well, he's talking about much more than Jesus. See, Paul will go on to say in 1 Corinthians 12, 
In 1 Corinthians, I hate the chapter divisions. You do know that the biblical writers didn't put chapter divisions in there. The Apostle Paul didn't put chapter divisions in there. A bookmaker in the 1500s put chapter divisions in there, and he wasn't a biblical scholar, and he did a horrible job. So actually, 1 Corinthians 11 and 12 and 13 are all one work. Uh, we, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. That's not standalone. It's not standalone at all. Don't ever read that chapter without the context. And the context is right here where we begin. When he says, uh, uh, you know, don't eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. But in 1 Corinthians 12, in the same passage, he says you. And who's the you? You are the body of Christ. Do you see what Paul's talking about now? You're the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And if you believe that, then what Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine should absolutely change your life. And so we're going to read from the Ramon Torres translation, which is really the best translation out there, I'm just saying. But 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine 29 says, for those who partake of communion without considering others, because that's what the body of Christ is, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, I recognize that many times when we receive communion, it is a special time between ourselves and God. But let us be aware that it is also more, and it's supposed to be more by God's design. We are here not only to connect with God on a deeper level, but we are here to connect with one another on a deeper level. And to understand how Paul gets to this place in this letter where he says, if you don't discern one another, you're bringing judgment on yourself. If you want to know how he got there, then we have to back up earlier in this uh, chapter. So 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings, and he's talking about their church services, okay? For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. By the way, that's sarcasm, plain and simple. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not. Now, in the Greek, it's not certainly not. It's more closer to, oh, hell no. <laughs> Serious. It really is. Certainly not in this matter. So that passage sounds crazy, and it sounds foreign to our ears, but we got to consider what's going on. So early Christians would have the Lord's Supper every time they gathered together. And for them, it was a meal. It wasn't what we do here. It was a meal. And uh, the church wouldn't provide uh, the bread and the wine. Uh, the people would bring their own. And quite often, for those people, bread would be all they ate at a meal. So there were some folks that could afford it would bring, you know, a bunch of bread and good bread and fresh bread. And then uh, they, they bring these big loaves. They would eat well. And some folks, they couldn't afford much. And they'd bring little barley loaves that just the real poor people had. And some other folks would have some wine and not just a little. Because really, it was a meal. Okay, you just celebrated uh, Christmas. 
I'm not going to get in your business, but if a lot of you celebrated with family and had some wine, okay? This is what they were doing. They were celebrating Jesus, and they were having some wine, and they were having some bread, and, and they were all in their different groups. Because if you read 1 Corinthians up to this point, you know that they had divided themselves into all these factions because there were the people who could speak in tongues. And they said, well, we speak in tongues and you don't, so we're going to have communion over here. And there were others that say, well, we have the gift of knowledge and we know things you don't, so we're going to have communion over here. And they had all these different groups in that church in Corinth who were having their own private little communion services. Mm. Now, some didn't have a little group. Maybe some people just showed up out of curiosity. What is this church thing about? And they'd go in there, and, and uh, maybe somebody invited them, but their friend didn't have a little group. And, and they didn't know the custom of the church. They didn't know you were, you know, they didn't know what the church did. They didn't know you were supposed to bring bread and wine, and they just showed up, and nobody was sharing with them because they weren't in a little group. And so they were just left out. It's scary to enter into a church for the first time. I got to tell you, in the course of my career, I've entered into a number of churches for the first time. And even as a pastor, it's scary. And I hope you folks that have been here a while will be very sensitive to those who are just entering into the church. You know, you don't know the local traditions. You don't know where people sit. You might sit in somebody's seat and they ask you to move. It happened at the first service, by the way. It didn't go over well with me. So they weren't welcoming in the Corinthian church. They weren't welcoming. And, and Paul wants them to move beyond it. Paul wants them to get over themselves because church isn't about you anyway. And so, uh, now, how many of y'all know Dana McClanahan? Okay, now look, I, I promote her social media at least twice a year. If you don't follow her on Facebook, you don't follow her on Instagram, and you want to see some good stuff, go ahead. Anyway, she posted this this past week, and I thought it was good enough to share. Church is not something you go to. It's a family you belong to. And this is what Paul wanted them to get over. He, 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 he doesn't want them to go over and have their little groups. They're all one family. And the behavior of the Corinthians wasn't welcoming. It was just the opposite. And so with that in mind, he wrote this. We're going to go through this again. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt. There have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Make absolutely no mistake about it. Paul is using sarcasm. But when you're an apostle and you have actually encountered the risen Jesus, I think you can probably get away with that. Amen? So, so he did. But he's using sarcasm to shame them because they were using their self-proclaimed spiritual gifts as a reason to divide themselves. And Paul would go on to explore their differences and make it plain in chapters 11 and 12 and 13 that there are no divisions and and, and nobody's more important than anybody else in the body of Christ. So let's continue through. Now, I saw somebody looking at your watch. Let me tell you something. I know it's a quarter to a, uh, 12. I know we still have communion to do. And I know I'm just getting wound up. So sit back and listen to the word of God. All right, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. Since then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. What he was saying is, you've got all these divisions. 
and you start eating the bread and drinking the wine. Well, you ain't having communion. And if it's not the Lord's Supper, whose supper is it? Think about that. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Oh, no, not in this matter. Paul makes it clear that if there are divisions amongst the people of the church, then it's not communion. It's not the Lord's Supper. If your fellowship at church excludes anyone for any reason, now I want to be clear about this because this means a great deal to me. If your fellowship amongst Christians excludes anyone, you're not having the Lord's Supper. And you see, some would take me to task and some have. Because they said, Ramon, you pastor a church that disaffiliated. You left the United Methodist denomination because you want to keep people out. I don't want to keep anybody out. I don't want to approve of certain behaviors. But I'm never going to let certain behaviors keep anybody from being part of the church or have the body of Christ. If we kept behaviors to keep us from this table, it would be quite, my wife would be the only person here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's listen to Paul's instructions about communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so certainly, the remembrance of Jesus and what he done for us is central. It's the core of this table. We remember his sacrifice and we celebrate what that sacrifice made possible for all people. And that's the point of the next verse, for all people. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, we could just go around saying, Jesus is dead, he died, he died, he died. That's not what he's talking about when he says you proclaim his death. What did the death of Jesus do for us? The death of Jesus made a way for all people to be right with God, and that's what we proclaim. We proclaim that it's for all people, not just the people who worship like us or think like us. The death of Jesus made salvation possible for all Jesus. Second Peter said he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so the death of Jesus can make us right with God. It's the only thing that can make us right with God. But for a Christian, for an active participant in the body of Christ, the death of Jesus should also make us right with one another. And so I want to go back to 1 John 1 and read that whole verse. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
That's communion. Fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ. And that should be our goal. I want to clear up a, a, a questionable verse that people have struggled with throughout the centuries. Uh, verse uh, 27. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, the King James says whoever eats uh, and drinks unworthily will be guilty. And so a lot of people have said, I'm not going to have communion because I'm not worthy. Of course you're not worthy. That's the whole point of communion. Ain't nobody worthy but Jesus. Amen? But the unworthy manner, the unworthy manner is if we come up to communion and we just, we don't care about other people. It's just about me and God. Me and God. Me and God are right. That's unworthy. You need to be right with others. This table should be the most humbling place in your life. This table is the great equalizer. This table reminds us that we, like everybody else, have fallen short. And it's only by the grace of God that we're right with God. So, once again, we go to verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So remember those questions? Question I want you to answer today is who are you? In light of this sermon about the body of Christ, who are you? Well, I want to give you a little hint. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. So I hope that you would boldly and proudly proclaim that you are part of the body of Christ because you are. It makes you extremely special. It makes you extremely special. And we'll explore what this means to be part of the body of Christ throughout the year. In fact, John Wesley's theology is all about what it means to be part of the body of Christ. The second question is, why are you here? Why are you here? I left that blank. There's no fill in there. Maybe that's something you need to work on or think about, or maybe this will develop over the years we go through this. But I would like for you to consider this verse as you discover who you are. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. So who are you? Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's part of the question of why you're here. Maybe there's suffering here, and, and you're here just to listen. You're just here to be compassionate. So in light of this message, I pray today that when you come to communion, you'll come with a whole different aspect of what it means to share fellowship with the Lord and with one another. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we give you thanks. We praise your name for your love. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which binds us not only together with you, but binds us together with one another. Let that be upon our hearts as we share this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.